you have your Bible, if you wouldn't mind taking it out, and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 12. And I forgot to write down the page number that it is on your pew Bible, but if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those pew Bibles around you, and uh, you can keep it for yourself if you don't have one at all. Um, But Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53 are going to be our main text today. And what we've been talking about last week and then last night at the Christmas Eve service and now again today are some of the statements that Jesus makes in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about why it is that he's come. So obviously we celebrate this time of year the fact that Jesus has come, but we want to know why. And he said some things in his earthly ministry about why he came. And those things are related to his being our redeemer, his his carrying out the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king. By the way, anytime you're reading your Old Testament and you wonder, how does this point me to Jesus? Well, it's very rare to come across any passage in the Old Testament that doesn't have anything to do with a prophet, a priest, or a king. And all of those things point to Jesus. There's lots of other ways as well. But Jesus is the one that all of those were about. He's the prophet who came to preach the word of God to us in perfection. He is the priest who came to make atonement for our sins. And he is the king of all creation, who's come to rule and to call us to allegiance to him. And so those are some of the things that he says. Some of the passages that we'll be looking at today in where where Jesus says why he has come are passages that I wouldn't normally think to go to on Christmas Day. And you'll see that in a minute. And I'm not trying to be harsh on Christmas or something like that. But as we looked at the, the ones about him, him speaking as a prophet, you see those in a certain way as, as he comes, as, as he came to seek and to save the lost and his atonement for sinners as a priest, you see those in a certain way. But when we see where Jesus announces that he has come to be our king, we're going to see that there are some, some sort of powerful calls to allegiance to him that might sound a little harsh at first, but we need to see this is Jesus, the righteous king, calling us into a proper allegiance. And so let's uh, let's worship in the scriptures today. I do want to <clears throat> to mention that it was just obvious to everybody that when the Christ came that he would be a king. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody who was waiting for the Christ or the Hebrew word for Christ is Messiah. That there were all of these these clear prophecies in the Old Testament that there was a Messiah coming, that there was a savior coming. Someone who would be uh, the, the son of Abraham and the son of David, who would come from the line of King David to reestablish the throne of David, who would sit on the throne of David forever and ever and carry out the full promises that Jesus, or excuse me, that God had made about David's kingdom forever. And, and even in Isaiah 9, 6, it said, For us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lots of people were looking for a king who would come, Now, we have to know that Jesus came in a way that wasn't expected for a king. 
Jesus came in a way where those who were looking for the Messiah kept asking him things like, where do you come from? They kept on wanting to know where he came from because he didn't match what it was that they expected as the coming king. And obviously he didn't match the way that they expected that the coming king would establish his kingdom. He came as as one who was born in a humble estate. He was laid in a manger, a feed trough, instead of having a royal baby bed. He, he, when he marched into Jerusalem, he didn't march into Jerusalem on a war horse with an army behind him. He marched in humble and riding on the colt of a donkey. He, when he went in, he didn't go in to, to establish uh, a throne in the actual literal Jerusalem. He didn't come to kick Herod and Pilate out and, and to set up a palace. Uh, what he did is he came in and went to the cross to die. And then to rise from the dead, this was not what was expected at all. When he died, they put a, a sign over his head to mock him. It said, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, and they yelled at him. They said, if you are the Christ, come down. They're saying, obviously you can't be king if you're hanging there on a cross. But in all of these things, what Jesus was doing was he was establishing his kingship. He was showing that his kingdom was not of this world. He was showing that he is the king of a greater kingdom than these piddly little things here on earth. I do want to read you something about the, the, uh, the story of Jesus' earliest days. This is after Jesus was born. It says in Matthew chapter 2, <clears throat> excuse me, I do have my water here. And as I've, I said earlier, if you came in a little late, you didn't hear me say it, I am not sick. The voice that you're hearing is the voice of perfection. So, I don't feel bad, and I hope my voice doesn't make you feel bad. But listen to this, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. By the way, that's the, where the idea comes from that there were three wise men. It never says there were three. It says there were three gifts. Could have been three, could have been two, could have been 15. We don't know. But there were three gifts. 
But it says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. By the way, that tells you the wise men were probably not there at the same time that the shepherds came in. They probably didn't come on the night when he was born because when Herod went, wanted to find out which babies should I kill to make sure that nobody claims that one of these babies is the king of the Jews instead of me, well, he killed the babies that were two years old and under. So they probably came as much as two years after that time. So those are just some correctives to, uh, to your nativity set all that kind of thing. But um, but what we see here, the reason I read you all that is partly just because it's, it's nice to set our minds on the, the story of the birth of Jesus around this time of year, but also because it's obvious in all of that that it was known from the beginning that this was to be the king who would rule to the point where the king who was ruling tried to kill him because someone had said, come, let us go and see the one who was born the king of the Jews. When Jesus was on trial in front of Pilate at the end of his earthly ministry, Pilate said to him, you are a king then. You see, this is what he was brought. He, he, was, he was put on trial before the Jewish council because he had claimed to be God. That's what they condemned him for. But then when the Jews wanted him to be executed and had to bring him to the Roman rulers in order for that to happen, the charge that they brought against him is he's claiming to be king. He's, he's trying to take the place of, uh, 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 of Caesar. And Pilate said, you are a king then? And Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I am a king. You hear that? Jesus says, you got it. And he says, in fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Now, he also told Pilate, but my kingdom is not of this world. You don't get it. You don't get it. But you see all this together. Jesus came into the world to be the king. To be the king here, he's already the king in heaven. He is ruling Lots and lots of kingship in Jesus. It says in the, the Baptist Catechism, question 29, here's what it looks like. Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. And, and so we have to limit to some degree all the aspects of Jesus being king that we can talk about today. But I want to do what I told you we're going to do, which is look at the statements where Jesus explicitly says, here's why I came. Here's why Christmas happened. Here's why I was incarnated. Here's why I took on flesh and came into the world, is to rule as a king. The first place we'll see this, I told you we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, and that's where we'll be. Luke chapter 12, 
verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, I came to cast fire on the earth. That's an interesting thing. That is, is not a verse I ever read prior to putting together this series and thought, that's a Christmas verse, but it is. He says, I came. Here's why I came. What does that mean? Well, in some sense, it has to do with Jesus being a prophet, because you see in a place like Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14, this statement. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire. And this people would, and the fire shall consume them. As God compares the words that he gives through his prophets to a fire that can consume those who are not on the side of the Lord. He says in Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? That's one possibility of what Jesus may be talking about there, and probably is part of it, is that his word is like a fire that comes into the world. Another way that Jesus is spoken of bringing fire is, is as, as the one who would bring the Holy Spirit and fire. As John the Baptist is announcing the arrival of Jesus, he says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Wow, wow. And we think of that, and we think of it as very, very harsh. And you know what? Fire is very harsh. You know what fire is especially harsh to is things that are flammable. But fire can also have another effect. Fire can have an effect of refining. Here is is what it says in Malachi chapter 3. This was in a prediction at the very end of the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus. And if you are like me and you, you listen to Handel's Messiah around this time of year, then you might start having the songs running through your head right now. It says in Malachi 3, verses 2 and 3, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. You see, what does fire do for wood? It burns it. But what does fire do for sand? It can turn it into glass, make it beautiful. What does fire do for iron or for silver or for gold? It refines it and it reshapes it. You see, what we have here is we have King Jesus coming to rule. King Jesus coming to subdue, to refine, to change, to do real things in real hearts and real lives. Things that for those who are his enemies will be devastating, but for those who are his people will be refining and purifying and a blessing. He says, I have come to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. How does he bring it? 
Well, he brings it primarily with what he calls his baptism in verse 50. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's going into the baptism of the grave, the baptism that his water baptism pointed to when he came and said, I will fulfill all righteousness and had that symbolism in being baptized by John that he would take on himself the sins of the world and put them away and die and leave them in the grave and rise from the dead and rule as our king. He is coming to cast a fire on the earth, and he's eager for it. He's king. He will rule. He doesn't just come to tell us the truth. As a prophet, he does that. He didn't just come to die for our sins. He does that. But he's also come to be the refining fire to rule with it. It says then in verse 51 that Jesus came not just to bring a holy fire, but a holy division. It says this, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? That sounds Christmassy, doesn't it? He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against her mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now at this point you're saying, why is pastor reading this on Christmas? Well, it's because we're reading what Jesus says are the reasons why he came, and this is one of them. And so we got to think about this. Why did he come? What is he talking about? Did Jesus come to bring peace? Well, in a way, yes. Because we, we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He has he, announced in Isaiah that he would come as the Prince of Peace. We know that Jesus gives peace to those who come to faith in him. He, he gives peace with God. That's Romans 5.1. Every time a person goes from being an enemy of God who's lost in their sins on the the wrong side of God, goes from that to being a forgiven saint by faith in Jesus, well, it's because God has made peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus has done it. And any time that there is peace between two people, think about this, there are people who would never, ever, ever get along with each other in the world. They would either just completely ignore each other or or maybe be enemies of each other. But if they both come to faith in Christ and they share in the same spirit and the same gospel, they have peace with one another. And you know why that is? It's because Jesus, this is what it says in Ephesians, has broken down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh, in, in the cross. He's done that. He's brought peace. And it also, the Bible also tells us that there is this chaos that's not just between us and God and not just between us and other people, but chaos within our own hearts. Chaos in human hearts where we can turn, and when somebody turns and casts their cares on God, and when somebody is flooded with what the Bible calls a peace that passes understanding in their hearts, by faith in Jesus, it's because Jesus has secured their peace for all eternity by the cross. And so did Jesus come to bring peace? In one way, we can say absolutely yes. But in the way that he's talking about here in Luke, 50, Luke 12, 51, he says, no, I did not come to bring peace. What does he mean by that? 
Well, here's what it means. As long as there is sin in the world, sinful enemies of God are going to be stirred up to anger when they see a loved one turn to Christ. Now, it may be to different degrees. By God's grace, we are not living in a situation, I don't think any of you are living in a situation, where you may be actually disowned for turning to Christ. Those situations do exist. Those situations exist strongly in places throughout the world, like Pakistan or Indonesia or North Korea or Iran, or we could make a long list of the places where that's the case, where someone turning to faith in Jesus can actually get them thrown out of their families, disowned, and maybe even killed, even by their own family members. Now, by God's, like I said, by God's grace, it's not to that degree for anyone that I know here in the United States. Praise God for that. But at the same time, we also know that there are allegiances. And when we turn to Christ, sometimes that change of allegiance to King Jesus, even though it brings peace between us and the God that we had sinned against, it can bring division between us and those that we love here in this world who don't understand what's going on and who aren't on the side of the Lord. This is true in the Old Testament too. In Zechariah chapter 13, it says, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And I will remove the land from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And get this, if anyone again prophesies, He's saying, if God has done this work to bring about forgiveness and cleansing, and now someone speaks the word of God, it says, if anyone prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. The the way that it's put in Matthew 10, the parallel passage to the one here in Luke, Jesus says there, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and so on and so on. And Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Here's what we're talking about. Here's why this has to do with Jesus coming to be a king. Even though in Jesus' first coming, he didn't come to establish an actual throne in Jerusalem. What he did is he came to establish his kingdom in terms of bringing people into faith in him. He came to establish his kingdom of grace, where we come and change our allegiances this is part of what happens when someone is born again. You, you cannot be born again in the sense of just agreeing with the fact that Jesus is Savior and without submitting to him as Lord. It's a change of allegiance. It's saying my allegiance was to this world. My allegiance was to myself. My allegiance was to my sin. And maybe even my primary allegiance was to my family. But now saying my allegiance is to King Jesus. That doesn't mean that we have to start hating our families. That would be a terrible Christmas message, wouldn't it? 
In fact, I think when we turn to Christ, we start loving our families even more. Even those members of the family that might just really get on your nerves. It's by faith in Christ that we can learn to love our enemies. And the fact is, though, that when we have turned our allegiance to Christ, sometimes they begin to see us as enemies. They begin to say, why would you do this to us? I just had a conversation, even while I was preparing this sermon, with somebody that I had never met before, who, who actually said to me something along the lines of, I just don't know if I can turn to Christ, because it might, it, it might say something bad about my Catholic father who is deceased, and I just don't want to dishonor him. Well, there needs to be a change of allegiance. And Jesus came to be our king. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when the angels came to announce to the, the, to, to the shepherds what had happened, this was the beginning of this call to say, everyone, everywhere, regardless of your family background, regardless of your traditions, regardless of what your grandmother said, this is the king. Turn your heart to him. Turn your allegiance to him. Love your families deeply, but know that in turning your allegiance to Christ as King Jesus, that you may have some who would turn on you. And there could be pain. There could be heartache. And yet Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is the treasure and our joy and our King forevermore. Jesus is not asking for allegiance to family first. He is asking for allegiance to King Jesus first. That's what it looks like to know Jesus. And King Jesus came to bring a holy judgment. I'm going to move on now from Luke and read you something from John 9.39. This was in the middle of a story about how Jesus had healed a blind man. And those uh, who were around, the Jewish leaders who were around, had questioned the blind man and uh, were not happy with his answers about Jesus healing him. But Jesus said in John 9.39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. That's an interesting statement too, isn't it? You see here, judgment. That's a king role. Now, the way that the, the U.S. government is set up, I think, is good and wise, where you don't have the executive doing the judging. But what a king does, a king does uh, all three branches of government, if you will. The king sets the rules that Congress is, sets in America. Uh, the king carries out the rules that the president's supposed to carry out in America. And the king does the judging that the judiciary does in America. In a kingship, it's all put together. And so when you see a, a, a judgment, that's a king role from Jesus. He came for judgment, he says. For judgment I came into this world. And specifically, he says, that those who do not see may see. He opened the eyes of the blind, and he says that those who see may become blind. That was the Pharisees who claimed to be the wise teachers of Israel, who knew all of these things, who could see all of these things, and yet they were just so blind that even when the Savior of the world was standing in front of them, doing miracles that had never been done since the foundation of the world, they didn't see it. And this was a judgment that had come into the world. 
When Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world, some of us might remember that yesterday we said Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. And so that raises the question, did Jesus come to judge, or did Jesus not come to judge? Well, I can say kind of both. In John 3.17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn or to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He says, here's the reason he came in his first coming, is to save. But he says right after that, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. He says, he came in not to judge but to save, but he also brought a judgment with him, that he is the light, and that those who want to remain in the darkness are are bringing a judgment on themselves by remaining in the darkness. It also says in John 5.22, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. And it says in John 12, verse 47, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world, But the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. He says, look, I I, I didn't come to judge. I came to save, but the words I'm bringing, they're going to judge you. And the Father has given all judgment to me. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter 20, you see that there is a great white throne Who sits on a throne? A king sits on a throne. But what happens at the throne? Well, him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Jesus came to be a king and he is the king who will judge us. And he says that he came for judgment into this world. We need to realize Jesus came. Think about this, okay? We wonder this. How could it be that he came to save and he came to judge? Which one did he do? Which one did he do? Well, it's both. Here's part of what the gospel is. Here's part of what the good news of Jesus Christ is. The very same Lord who you will one day stand in front of, the same Lord who will judge you, who will say, either depart from me, I never knew you, or enter into the joy of your master. That same judge is also the one who has come in love and has humbled himself and been born as a baby so that he could do human life better than you, for you, in your place, in fact, perfectly obey where you have not, and could go and die for you, and actually take the judgment on himself to die for sinners in our place, and to finish paying the penalty for our sin, and to offer us free forgiveness and eternal life to offer us a judgment of not guilty, to offer us a judgment of righteous by giving us his righteousness. You see, if you stand before King Jesus one day in judgment, 
and you have not accepted him, it's going to become apparent how foolish that was. Because the very same judge who on that day would cast you into the lake of fire is the one who came into this world in the form of a man to die on the cross so that you could receive eternal life. So that that possibility would be open to everyone. That free offer of life would be open right there. Come, believe, have eternal life. You should do that. He came as a king to cast judgment, and he will be our judge. Another thing that Jesus came to do as our king is to bring life to the full. This is John 10.10. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We're like sheep, whether we want to be or not. We just are. We're a little dumber than we think we are. We stink a little more than we think we do. But there's a thief. There's a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. We have an adversary whose name is Satan. And we are born in allegiance to Satan, thinking that it's just normal thinking that the things that Satan would want us to love are great things to love, thinking that the things that Satan would want us to do are great things to do, not realizing that we're in bondage and in slavery to sin in those things. And that thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus has come to change our allegiances, and not just to change our allegiances, but to give us life. Where we had been subject to death, Jesus comes to bring us into a kingdom of grace and to give life. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And of course, the way he does that is by being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, for his elect, for those that he has determined from before the foundation of the world that he is going to bring into his kingdom. And he does it in his love and grace toward us. One of the things that it says, I love, every time I think about the kingdom of Jesus, I think about this petition in the Lord's Prayer. Part of what we pray in the Lord's Prayer is, thy kingdom come. And what does that mean when we're saying, thy kingdom come? Well, here's the way it's described. I'm going to quote you the Baptist Catechism again. Okay? Here's what it says in the Baptist Catechism about what we're praying for when we say, Thy kingdom come. We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed. See, that's that's the thief who came to, to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're praying that he would be destroyed. And that the kingdom of grace may be advanced and ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it. And that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. You see, when Jesus came, he came to establish his kingdom, first of all, by bringing us into it, by his grace, through faith in him. He has come as King Jesus to give us life, and that we may have life abundantly, life to the full. Guys, you need, you need to look to Jesus who was born. Look to Jesus who lived for us. Look to Jesus who died and rose again. Trust in him. And know that he gives eternal life as our king. 
And one thing, final thing, even though this doesn't have to do with the statements, the I have come statements in the four Gospels, to just know that Jesus not only came to establish his kingdom in some sense in his first coming, but he's coming again. Jesus is going to come again to establish his kingdom in power. You see, Jesus already is reigning right now. His kingdom is not of this world. If his kingdom were of this world, then his disciples would have been fighting. That's the way that he put it in in John 19. But he's reigning right now. He is the Lord of all the universe. Even when he came as a baby, he was reigning. Even as he was going about his earthly ministry where people wondered about him and didn't recognize who he was, you know who did recognize who he was? The demons. And they came cowering to him when he walked up and said, please, please don't cast me out. They knew he was Lord. They knew he was king. They knew he was reigning all along. And he kept on reigning. And he died for our sins. And he rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. And he is reigning in heaven right now. King Jesus is reigning. But here's what we haven't seen yet. We haven't yet seen it all become public. We haven't yet seen it all revealed. Who are the children of God and who are not? We haven't yet seen God put away all of the evil that so many people say is the reason why they reject him. We haven't seen him come not not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We haven't yet seen him establish the new heaven and the new earth and to sit on his glorious throne, but he will. He will. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, that then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Get this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Praise God for that. It says in Acts 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That repent, that's change allegiances. Realize that you were wrong in your allegiance before and come and put yourself under the lordship of Jesus. He calls all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He's coming again. There's a picture of what's going to happen in Revelation 19. Verse 14, it says, The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus has come, when he's established his glorious rule in power in our presence. It says in Revelation 22, here's what it's going to look like. The angel showed me the river of the water of life. Remember, he says, I came to give them life and give it abundantly. The water of life, bright as crystal. And where is it flowing from? From the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
King Jesus on the throne with the water of life flowing. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Guys, King Jesus came. They knew that he was a king. Herod knew that he was a king. Herod killed babies because Jesus is a king. They knew it all along. They knew it when they crucified him. They put a sign over his head that that said that he was a king. When he rose from the dead, they knew he was a king. His disciples asked him, will you at this time establish your kingdom? But all the world will know it one day. All the world will know it. Jesus was born in a humble estate. He was humiliated, but he's now exalted, and he's going to be exalted higher and higher and higher. Let me just end with this, what it says in Philippians chapter 2. That Christ made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born, Merry Christmas, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Turn your allegiance to King Jesus. Embrace him as your treasure, as your Savior, and receive the fullness of life. And on that day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, you will be on his side, and you will have life, eternal life, abundantly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus who has come into the world. I thank you that he was born in a humble state. Father, we don't know whether we would have understood or recognized personally the fact that he is the Christ, the King of all creation when he came. More than likely, we we would have been just as clueless as the people around him that we read about in the scriptures. But God, I thank you that we now live in the time when he's risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, when the scriptures say to us so clearly that this is why he has come, to establish his kingdom. Father, we thank you that the kingdom has come in grace as grace extends to more and more people. And I pray that that grace would extend and you'd bring people into the kingdom of Christ even now. But I thank you also that Jesus is coming in power to establish establish his kingdom in the fullness of power forever and ever. And Lord, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.